the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon and welcome to Woods and Water, South Carolina. This is Roger Metz, your host, and I'll be here for about, I don't know, nine minutes today. <laughs> no, I, uh, man, schedules are everything, and this week was a really busy one for me. It was really busy for the station. So I went back, um, going back to June the 1st and pulling the show with Scott Laseth, the sporting chef. And I'm going to talk to you in that one. He covers uh, turkeys. Could have had to cook a turkey and all, and and some uh, some fish recipes, and he really kind of hones in a lot on the deer. And I know with deer season starting up, there are a lot of people who are processing their own or taking their stuff to get it processed. And I just, since I couldn't be here live, I'll um, I'll defer to somebody who's a lot better than me, and we'll listen to that Scott Laseth uh, show from June the first. And I hope you'll enjoy it. Hope you'll check out his uh, his websites and all. And, and in fact, Dead Meat TV is new in fourth quarter. So if you're Subscribe to Sportsman Channel and some of those others. Uh, Dead Meat TV with Scott Lace. Yeah, that's that's the one. He he mentions it in here, so I won't spoil the fun. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's a it's a little bit of a best of today because I am traveling to a much cooler place today, <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. But thanks for tuning in. Uh, Going to hit a hit a quick calendar of events brought to you by Visit Anderson Green Pond Landing and Event Center. Don't forget uh, this coming Saturday, the fourteenth is youth day in south carolina for deer season in game zone two which is is upstate area here um youth day september 14th antler deer only limit one hope you'll find a, a youth to take um you know if, and and just realize it's taking a youth into the woods okay don't make it all about deer season like we try to anyway got a few things um new this year i think in, i think it's new this year in greenville is the uh, rotary fundraiser and they've they've changed it from holiday lights to camp the falls festival so camp the falls festival will take place tomorrow september the 8th from two to six at falls park all ages are invited to take to invited to the free festival to enjoy camp food outdoor activities and demonstrations music games silent live auction and the much anticipated raffle drawing to name the eight winners who will have the opportunity to experience urban camping in falls park on september 14th to 15th so if glamping, which is glamour camping, is your thing, you'll also be auctioning off one glamp site. Funds raised from the event will support rotary charities. And and I'll have to put, put a plug in for our sister station, Earth FM 103.3 and 95.9. They're going to be there live tomorrow. So stop by and see Craig, and I don't know if Action will be there or who will be there, but stop by and see them uh, and, and get the app for your phone. It's a, it's a great station. I love to listen to it uh, myself. So anyway, that is Camp the Falls Festival tomorrow from from 2 to 6. The Harry Hampton Wildlife Fund Photo Contest is open this year. Uh, The deadline is October 15th. You can find more information at Harry Hampton Memorial Wildlife Fund. Eligibility eligibility (laughs) photos must have been taken in South Carolina. Pretty good. Um, You must hold the rights to the photograph. And uh, they may not have been entered previously 
to the Department of Wildlife, employees of the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources and their immediate families are ineligible. There are three categories. You can submit three photos in each category. Categories, birds, insect, oh, native wildlife species, sorry. Birds, insects, mammals, reptiles, and amphibians. Then you have a nature uh, category, landscapes, patterns, plant life, and weather. And then recreation, which is hunting, fishing, nature, outdoor recreation, like hiking, camping, boating, and then sporting dogs is in that one. So you uh, you photogs out there might want to take advantage of that. Then uh, let's see. That's that, that, that. Uh, community meeting, the forest restoration in the Sumter National Forest. They're going to have a community meeting September the 10th from 4 to 7 at the Chattooga Bell Farm in Long Creek, South Carolina. Join local representatives, researchers, and natural resource managers from the USDA Forest Service, Clemson University, and uh, the Nature Conservancy, and find out how they're going to manage Sumter National Forest. So that's a quick calendar. Hang on through the break. More Woods and Water South Carolina on the other side with Scott Laceth, the sporting chef. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. Appreciate you tuning in. And I'm going to give you a fair warning right here, right now. If you like food and you like cooking wild game, I don't know if you want to get your uh, uh, drip rag or whatever and, and get ready to bail the scuppers in your mouth because you're going to get hungry. Your mouth's going to start watering because all the way from Folsom, California, Scott Lacey, the sporting chef, joins us on Woods and Water. Scott, thanks for doing this. Hope you're doing great. And uh, what are we going to cook today? Man, whatever's on sale. I know it's, we've got turkey season. Hopefully, those who are listening, I've got a couple of turkeys in the freezer, yeah. and we can talk about some of that ground deer meat you probably have too much of. Okay. Um, fish, whatever, cast iron, I'm here for you. Well, let's talk about whatever, whatever happens in South Carolina, one of my favorite states. I hear you, because you're here. I mean, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Outdoor Network, uh, I mean, Sportsman Channel ran your SCWA uh, episode where you filmed here at the South Carolina Waterfowl Association. So yep, you- my son has been to camp there a couple times. I've done cooking schools there. We were there last December for the uh, opening, uh, the second day, second opener, and um, had a great shoot there. Managed to kill my limit after everybody else left the pond, <laughs> and um, I really liked hanging out there at Camp Woody at SCWA. That's a that is one camp. When you talk to those guys down there, those kids, it, you know, it, my favorite part is the inner tube and the mud puddle. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the way I and grew I, up. I, you know, and it just it just it just reeks of fun down there. It really? Well, does. and you can do the reason I sent my son there instead of somewhere in California is you can do more good stuff at Camp Woody than you can most other places. I'm sure. Um, and I've watched it grow. You know, they've done an incredible job. David Walicki, the founder there, has done a great job over the last 25 years of developing this into an education, fun, great opportunity for people that can get a chance to go to Camp Woody. Yep. And camp runs all summer. And then they got the, on the flip side, they got the Camp Loophole, which runs through the school right. year, that continues yep. some of what Camp Woody does all year long. 
Oh, it does. And it's, and that's kind of the next level where, you know, you actually get to participate a lot more in, uh, you know, the conservation efforts and what it takes to identifying plants and animals and those kind of things. Yeah. The Camp Leopold is a great, great deal. It's a good one, and it's right here in South Carolina. That's the really cool thing about it. So you do make it here every once in a while and, and keep a tab on what all's going on. Um, you know, you, one of your favorite things you told me maybe the first time we ever talked, uh, I'm not here to make your cooking more complicated. I'm just here to make it better. And it seems like you know, every- the, re- <laughs> the, the inspiration for me with the cooking isn't to out-chef other people. What I, what I found a few decades ago is that, <laughs> You know, there are so many people out there that say, man, I love to duck hunt, but I just don't like eating duck. Oh, man. Or I, lo- I love to catch fish, but, you know, and then they make that, you know, paper mill smell face when they when they talk about eating fish. <laughs> and I and it's not the fish, and right. it's not the duck. It's what they're doing with it. Right. And that's where you come in, and you've been doing this a, a while. <laughs> yeah more than i'd like to admit oh no it's 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 all good and and folks if you're if you have a chance get on the sporting chef website uh it tells you more about it it's got a sampling of game recipes you can even get and i noticed this you can even get a free wild game ebook oh yeah you sign up for our sign up for our newsletter we'll send you an ebook um mm. we don't wear you out with newsletters we send out Maybe six a year okay. at the most. You know, I don't, I don't, I get, we don't get tired of too many emails, right? Okay. So, um, stay with us. I've got, uh, you know, a show on Sportsman Channel, Sporting Chef, and then the Dead Meat Show is back. We just got okay. done chasing lionfish, uh, <laughs> snakeheads, and rays in Florida last week. Okay. Um, we went in search of wild cows, um, on the big island of Hawaii. They have feral cattle there. Cool. Um, and one of the coolest things that we did find, we shot a pig. Okay. Now, you know how an old wild boar um, can have a uh, a bit of a pronounced aroma to you it. You think? <laughs> and, and and we normally cut the fat off of those things, right? Okay. It's best to cut the fat off into the fat. We shot pigs that were, um, every afternoon, the property owner would put a, a big pile of macadamia nuts. Huh. And I'm telling you. If you all you need is a truckload of macadamia nuts, which will cost you about four hundred dollars a pound by the time you get your pig off. Okay. But it was the best pig I've ever had. The fat on it was white and creamy. We actually added the fat to the grind when making sausage. Oh my and you don't normally do that with an old wild pig, right? Now macadamia they you're I assuming you're on a macadamia nut farm down there. Well, this guy has access to a macadamia nut processing place, okay. and he just goes in and sweeps the floor ah. and get whatever gets whatever's on the floor, loads up his truck, and feeds the pigs that come out of the woods with him. And, and you know, <laughs> definitely are what you eat, and it's um, <laughs> a whole different category of pigs. Oh, those pigs have elevated to a different one altogether. You're exactly right. Right. Look, we just finished up turkey season in South Carolina. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, it was, uh, you talked around and people had a good season. Some people said the turkeys were absent or they were silent, but I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that have a few turkeys in the freezer. Like you said, what, um, you know, most people breast it out. We do it with doves. Yep. We do it with quail. We do it with ducks, geese, turkeys. I mean, that's a good part. And I'm sure you can talk about cooking those, but, uh, about the whole, using the whole turkey, how do you go about doing that? And, and how are you going to fix the legs or whatever else left over? 
You know, and you don't have to necessarily, you know, plucking a turkey, as as, as you know, isn't the easiest task. And that's going to add a lot of time to your processing. If you just want to peel it, that's fine if you don't feel like plucking it. But when you just breast it out and you throw the rest away, what I find people will breast it out, throw the rest of the way, and then they'll make a recipe and throw in a bouillon cube or a can of, of uh, chicken stock. Oh. Instead, if you take those wild turkey parts that aren't the breast fillets and you put them into a roasting pan, and I'm talking legs, thighs, carcass, okay. put it into a roasting pan with some celery, carrot, onion, that, and you can use the butt ends and the peels and any of right. that stuff. Brown the whole thing in a 400-degree oven. Dump it all into a big stock pot. Cover it with cold water. You can throw in some bay leaves, garlic, herbs, doesn't matter. Bring it up to just under a boil. Leave it uncovered. Let it simmer all night long, low heat, and then pour the whole thing through a colander. Yeah. Pull the big parts out, and then I like to pour it through a colander again with some cheesecloth to uh, further get the little parts out. You've got this incredible wild turkey stock. Oh wow! That you can use to make soups, stews, whatever. The you can take those legs and thighs and braise them. Um, just you want to brown them, and then you put them into a roasting pan with okay. about an inch or so of liquid. Um, and that can be wine, chicken stock, doesn't matter. Throw some vegetables in there, and eventually those wild turkey legs, at least the thighs, will get really, really tender. And then you can strip all the meat off. If you cook a whole bird, it doesn't work. If okay. the breasts are just done, if you get it to where you can actually eat those thighs, the legs are, I mean, the breasts are, thaw, are sawdust. Okay. So cook them separate. Same thing applies to pheasants, anything else that you're cooking. Don't waste the rest of that bird. It's You can take that stock and concentrate it, put it into Ziploc bags, put it flat in the freezer so that it freezes like oh, a wow. book. Yeah. And then you can just stack them in, and you can just break off a corner of that stock anytime you need to make some sauce, and you're not wasting the rest of that turkey. Wow. And that's what you ought to do. If you're going to go out in the wild and, and take part of the natural resource, you need to make sure it's used. Yeah, to me, it's you know it's it's wanton waste to, to just use the breast of the birds, whether it's a duck, a goose, or a turkey, and not use the rest of it. Um, and a lot of people just don't know, you know, so yeah. they're, so they've taken turkey and they chunk it up and they throw it into a crock pot with a can of cream of mushroom soup and it tastes just like cream of mushroom soup. <laughs> but it, to me that you can do that with a chicken. Don't sure. do that with your wild turkey. And if your turkey is, if your turkey breast is dry, uh, you, all you've done is overcooked it. If you take that turkey breast and you brine it, six to eight hours and that can be a commercial brine or you can just take half a gallon of water half cup each kosher salt and brown sugar that's oh. going to add moisture it's going to add salt don't cook it past about 150 155 degrees as okay. it sits there when you take it out it'll keep cooking it's not chicken the salmonella danger isn't there if your turkey's dry all you've done is cooked it too long huh. no salmonella in turkeys Nah, not in the wild turkey. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And, that and I shot a few of them this year. We got lucky here. I got okay. I, I shot my three, so I'm, I'm, I had a good year. <laughs> you did have a good year. You did have a good year. So so you, you're using all of it. You're making the stock. When you pull the stock out, what are you using the stock for down the road? You can use it for anything that you would use for 
chicken broth. Okay. Uh, instead of bouillon, you've got, and it tastes so much better. Yeah. Um, and you're going to, if you want, you can skim the fat off, but there's not a whole lot of fat on there. Right. And the more you cook that stock down, the more concentrated it is. So you can have a concentrated stock, takes up less room in your freezer. Some people put them into ice cube trays. Okay. Um, I, and then once they're frozen, you just break them into a Ziploc bag, gra- uh, grab an ice cube with a, uh, a turkey stock cube. And if you're sauteing some turkey or chicken or quail or whatever, you throw one of those cubes in there, and just it's going to add a oh, whole different man. dimension of flavor. Gosh, that does sound good. Oof. Told you, folks. <laughs> Start bailing the scuppers. Uh, uh, you, you mentioned something about cooking breast fillets on a turkey. Uh-huh. What, what, what are you going to do there? First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to butterfly it. If, if, it's, a, if it's a big animal, you know, they're really thick. Right. So if you if you cook it in the in its natural state when it's an inch and a half or so thick, um, by the time it gets to the center, it's very often overcooked on the outside. So if you're gonna cook the whole thing, you wanna use lower heat. Um, make sure you add a little bit of moisture to it. So if you're doing it on a grill, you wanna baste it often. Um, okay. my the best thing I like to do is to butterfly them so that they're about half as thick. Okay. Um, and then lightly pound them so that they're even. They're of even thickness. Then, um, after you brine it, you can put it into a little marinade with some olive oil, garlic, salt, and pepper. Um, slap it on the grill, and again, follow that meat thermometer. If when it's done for me, it still has just a tinge of pink on the inside, and I'm going to let it rest for a few minutes. And as it's resting, you're going to lose that pink, and it's going to be perfectly cooked. You can cut it up into strips and fry it and all that, and that's good, too. Okay. But uh, keep the thickness even so that it'll cook evenly, and you're not going to have an undercooked and an overcooked uh, part of a turkey breast. And they're, what's really cool about them is you can butterfly them and stuff them with a bunch of stuff, too. You can put in uh, prosciutto, cheese, fresh basil, tomato, Roll the whole thing up, tie it like you would a roast. Okay. Uh, brown it and then pop it into the oven, a 350 degree oven. When that uh, temperature gets about 155 in the center, pull it out, let it rest, and you can cut it open. And it makes this roulade, you know, whole kind of stuffed wild turkey thing that's really good. Oh boy, that does sound good. You, you know, you mentioned olive oil. What, what purpose does olive oil serve when you're grilling or when you're doing something in a pan? Because every recipe you see calls for it. I don't know that a whole lot of people know why you use it. Well, for me, it's flavor. Um, and I, what I do a lot of times is I'll mix olive oil and butter, and the olive oil will give it a little bit higher burning point, and then you get that flavor of butter. But there's there's just a different flavor between olive oil and vegetable oil. If all you're going to do is brown it, yeah. Any kind of oil works. Okay. Um, if you want a little bit more flavor, you're going to get more flavor out of the olive oil, and of course, the better olive oils, the extra virgin olive oils, right? That are from the that are from the first and second pressing, those are going to have more olive oil flavor. If you're not looking for olive oil flavor, buy the cheap stuff, the Thomas <laughs> grade, or there's olive oil mixed with canola oil. Okay. And that'll still give you a little bit of flavor. If all you're doing is browning, you don't need to waste your money on expensive olive oil. Okay. All right, because everything you know, every every recipe you have, you see, you know, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, and I just don't know that people know exactly why. 
but it's well, a- and it's and again, it's it's a matter of preference. But if you know, if you don't want to fry in olive oil because it doesn't. It has too low of a burning point. Okay, that's why we use that's why we use peanut oil for okay. frying. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. You know, uh, turkeys. You could go on. We could talk about this forever, and we and we normally do. Take just a moment before we take this break, and I'll talk about cast iron cooking. I know one of your sponsors is Camp Chef, and I don't do a whole lot with cast iron, but I know there are a lot of people who are going back to it and using cast iron more and more these days. And I know there's a process for curing a cast iron and then cleaning a cast iron. Could you tell us a little bit about how to do both of those? You know, the process is infinitely simpler than people think it is. And if you buy a cast iron now, it comes pre-seasoned. But if you happen to have one that's been out in the shed for a while and there's a bunch of rust on it, heat it up to 400 degrees, and that's going to get a lot of that rust off. And then you can take a wire brush to it. I don't care how much you've abused your cast iron. You can always bring it back to life. Get a wire brush on the end of your drill motor. Get all that old rust off. And then... um, Wipe it out really good. Um, I use a cast iron conditioner from Camp Chef. You can use palm oil. You can use vegetable oil and just rub it in there. Don't soak it. Don't bury it in oil. Just a nice thin coating. Okay. Pop it back into that 400-degree oven, and in about an hour, it's going to glaze that that uh, oil on the outside. Right. And, and you now have a nonstick, brought-back-to-life cast iron. It's infinitely simpler than you think it is. That is. Um, and, and when you go to stir, uh, store it, don't put a tight-fitting lid on there because what the oil that's in there can go rancid on you. So you want to make sure that it gets to breathe. Okay. You know, the cast iron is very porous. Right. It's my go-to cookware. It's what I use at home. I don't travel with it because it, it's a little heavy. <laughs> Airline baggage fees each up on that one, won't it? Yeah, it does. We, uh, just a little short story we go up to the Chattooga River and camp every once in a while. Used to do it a lot more before kids got older and people got busier. Um, but one of the coolest things at night was my cousin's husband would take Granny Smith apples and some cake batter and I don't know what all, and he would put it in a Dutch oven, and we'd have Dutch oven apple cobbler out of a, you know, just a cast iron Dutch oven, and it was just so yep. good. Oh, it was so good. If you if you ever go to a Dutch oven cook-off where they end I've been to a bunch of them where they do incredible stuff. <laughs> Anything you can do in an oven, you can do in a Dutch oven. Oh, wow. And, and so for people that aren't familiar with it, I've seen, you know, dessert cook-offs and cheesecakes and all this stuff like you're talking about. It's so much easier. And, and again, the curing is simple. Anything you can do in an oven, you can do in a Dutch oven. <laughs> all right, Scott, hang on. We're going to take a break, come back with more Woods and Water, and the sporting chef Scott Lath is on the other side. Like the song says, turn it up, because we're talking to the sporting chef, Scott Laseth, about uh, cooking wild game, and we covered some turkeys last time. We talked a little bit about uh, cast iron cooking, and uh, I think we hit one of one of Scott's pet peeves, if I if he has any pet peeves, is, is people like me who grind up way too much deer meat. So 
Go ahead, Scott. Go ahead and pound on me a little bit about grinding up too much ground venison. You know, I, I, if, if I had a dollar for every time I heard, you know, just give me the loins and the tenderloins and grind every everything else into burger or sausage or whatever, that, it kills me. Does that just I'm make you just wretch? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let, if, if you've never had deer shanks, okay. slow-cooked deer shanks that just fall right off the bone, you, I mean, you have to tie a string around them to keep them from falling off the bone, Yeah. You'll you would you're going to think, boy, I wish these deer had eight legs so I could get more shanks out of them. Um, now, okay, well, let me know, stop you right there. When when uh, when the average person goes to a processor, is the processor going to know where the shank is? Absolutely. Okay. All if right. he doesn't know where the shanks are, then then get a different processor. Okay. All right. I'll um, process at home. But what happens? We'll take you know you take a, an average sized animal and you take those hindquarter muscles and grind them. You're wasting a whole bunch of meat. If you take that hindquarter, bone it out, remove each muscle, you know, the, the eye of round looks like it's going to be tender, but it's not. That one, go ahead and grind that part okay. or slice it really thin for a stir fry. But those other muscles in that hindquarter, if you just don't overcook them, you slice them across the grain when you go to serve it, very often... And and your deer in South Carolina are, are as good as they can get. I mean, they're they're good tasting deer. Um, and if you if that's not the case for you, you're probably cooking it too long. Okay. But if you take one of those hind quarter muscles, um, put a little olive oil, salt, and pepper, slap it on a grill, slice it across the grain, but don't go past 135 degree internal temperature. That thing's going to melt in your mouth. If you found <laughs> that your deer. Your deer steaks from the hindquarter are tough and chewy. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep repeating myself. <laughs> You're just cooking it too long. So, do that. Put a little some fresh sautéed mushrooms on top. Tell everybody it's loin, and they won't know the difference. <laughs> I guarantee it. Stop grinding all that deer meat. And when you do go to grind it, yes. if you want to get rid of some of that stuff that's in your freezer now. Be a little bit more creative. Anything you can do with ground beef. You can do with ground venison. Okay. I usually, when I grind mine, I add a uh, pork shoulder to it. Okay. So that's, to me, that pork butt has the perfect amount of fat. I'm going right. to put about 25% pork shoulder to my 75% lean deer, and it's the best burger ever. And at that point, you don't have to add anything else to keep it together, right? Well, well no, that will hold together much better. It's It'll fall apart. It'll be more likely to fall apart if you don't add some fat to it. Right, yeah. And that's why we make a lot of chili and that kind of stuff because sure. um, it's very forgiving and it falls apart and it's cooked all the way. And, and again, if you're not if you're not okay with medium rare, well, uh, I can't help. That. I mean, <laughs> you, you got to go low and slow at that point. You can turn it all into pot roast, okay? Um, but just I want everybody to take 15 seconds out of their life if they said I can't eat it. There's too much blood. And by the way, that's not blood. Um, if you just don't cook it quite so long. Take 15 seconds out of your life. Take a bite of lesser cooked venison, and you'll find just how much better it tastes than that overcooked one. Well, I mean, a, a medium rare or a medium steak it tastes better than a well done too. So you're not, it's not that much it different does, from a steak. It it does to me. And one of the questions that I ask people when they have a problem with what how their beer tastes is, I'll say, you go to a restaurant, how do you order your steak? And if okay. they go medium well or well done, I go. You know, deer doesn't work that way. There's yeah. no fat in there, so it's not very forgiving. Yeah. And so 10 times less fat than beef. 
So if you, you know, you'll never see any marbling on your, on your venison steak that's left over the next day that you pull out of the, out of the refrigerator because there just isn't any fat on there. Right. So quit cooking it so long you've got a whole different deer. <laughs> All right. You sent me something that said pull deer shoulder. This is, this interests me. Pull take, deer instead shoulder. Instead of, instead of breaking down that, that shoulder, um, take the whole shoulder Rub it with olive oil, your favorite seasoning. The olive oil is going to help brown it. Seasoning is going to give it flavor. If you want to wrap it up in plastic after you do that, leave it in the refrigerator for a little while. Okay. The flavor will be a little better, but really all that's going to do is season the outside. Brown it, roasting pan, um, celery, carrot, onion, a little beef broth or game broth in there, cover it up with foil, 300, 325 degrees in about eight hours. And make sure that you keep enough liquid in there so that you'll get that steamed heat. Okay. In about eight hours, you'll be able to pull that shoulder bone out, and it comes out clean, and the meat just falls off, just like it would like would, would pulled pork. But if it doesn't, make sure you add a little liquid and okay. keep cooking. It'll happen. So it makes it it's so much easier than trying to break down a shoulder into burger in, or, you know, usable pieces. Okay. Let the oven let the oven do the work. You can do the same thing in your smoker. Um, just like if you were to do a, a pork shoulder, if you you leave it in there until it starts to soften up, you can wrap it up with foil, put some barbecue sauce in there, and throw it back in the smoker. And that deer shoulder will eventually again be tender, just like a pig. The bone comes out clean, meat falls off. You've got pulled deer, deer shoulder. Wow. Mm. Okay. Oh man, and it's getting close to lunchtime. <laughs> All right, well that's uh, that words of wisdom for you, dear. I, I have quit grinding everything up. Uh, I still grind a lot because I still have to feed the the females at home, but I, I don't grind I as much. You. you know, you have to go with the flow on some of the stuff. Um, I understand, but uh, but it, some of the other stuff it, that I've started doing it has turned out pretty good. I'm, I'm getting better at it. I guess by yeah. default, I was just going with, you know, if I wanted a steak, I'd just go buy me a steak and not worry about the venison. But I am starting, right. to, I'm starting to diversify a little bit. Thank you very much. Um, fish, we're in, you know, this is the first of June. We've had crappies, you know, crappy have been on the bed. People have gone out and whacked a bunch of crappies. The, uh, the last full moon, the bluegills and shellcrackers were on the bed. I'm sure there are a lot of people went out and, you know, got their limits of those. Offshore fishing is heating up. The mahi run is here. Let's talk a little fish. And I don't really know where to start because there's so much you can do. So I'm just going to let you, uh, you know, all right, here's, here's one that I always get. How do you keep your fish fresh? Well, the vacuum sealer by far is the best way to do it. Now, what a lot of people have experienced when they vacuum seal their fish or anything that's a little bit on the moist side is, you know, you're always hoping, you know, you'll put a little paper towel in there so that it okay. doesn't, so that you get a good seal. And if you if you start freaking out when you see that fish juice going into the chamber on the vacuum sealer, freeze it first. If okay. you've got fillets, put them on a sheet pan and freeze it first. As soon as it's just frozen, then you vacuum seal it. And you'll find that it has a really, really tight seal that's not going to leak. Okay. Um, fish doesn't get better with age in the freezer. <laughs> so I use mine. You know, I've got 
uh, Food Saver Game Saver is a sponsor of mine. Okay. And, and they claim, you know, keep your fish. It's good for two years, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm using my fish within three months. Okay. All right. Uh, um, and once you've thawed it, or even if you bring home fresh fish, keep it wrapped in two-ply paper towels. And what that does is that wicks away that fishy juice that you get in fish. You know, if you've got fillets and you got them in a Ziploc bag in your refrigerator, you'll notice that eventually they'll be floating in this pinkish fish juice. Right, yes. Doesn't help the flavor of the cooked fish. So if instead you wrap it in two-ply paper towels, and whenever those paper towels get moist, you rewrap it, that way, when you put the fish in the skillet with your white wine and your butter and who knows what, it's going to absorb the flavor that you're adding to the fish instead of competing with all this funky fish juice. You'll mm. notice when you go to freeze your fish, you don't have all that funky fish juice <laughs> in it. And yet, when you at once it's thawed, where did this come from, right? right? Don't just pour the juice out. Dry the fish off. If you want to season it then, it'll make a whole lot more sense. And you're not competing with all that fish juice. And then, just like everything else, if you cook it too long, it's not going to taste nearly as good. <laughs> no. And fish, fish seem to be really, really. There's a fine line between too much and and not enough. It's the the the, well, the, and the sweet spot is real thin. Right, right. And if your fish is fishy, um, you know my fish isn't fishy. And when it comes right out of the water or comes right out of the ocean. It doesn't, it's not fishy at all. Um, it's how you handle it is when we start getting the funky fish uh, aroma to it okay. or, the, or the flavor to it. If it's not quite right, it's been mishandled. So, you know, you were talking about shell crackers and the coffee, and yeah. that. I love to fry, fry those whole. Okay. Yeah. You know, scale them, gut them. Yep. Um, I, on my Sporting Chef website, I've got a pistachio crusted crappie or bluegill or something along those lines and you just fry the whole thing and you know those fins taste like potato chips oh, when they're they fried <laughs> and you can just pull the pull the meat right off it if you know it's a little more work sure. um it, another thing that crappie's good for is to make crappie cakes just like you do crab cakes huh. you can you, you cook the crappie you pull the meat off use it like it's it's blue crab meat um, give it a little squeeze to get whatever kind of juice there is on there to dry it out. Okay. And if you use your favorite crab cake recipe with that light, white, flaky, crappie meat, it tastes just like a crab cake. Wow. Um, if, if you butterfly a shrimp, dust it with flour, leave the tail on it, and you build your crappie cake around that butterflied shrimp, that's pretty cool, too. you got the combo deal, and it looks like a big shrimp cake. But it's actually crappie with the shrimp surprise in the center. My goodness. This is what you get when you do this a long time, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I've been doing it for a while. That's, yeah. Okay, so crappie, crappie, well, it's crappie here. It's crappie in California. Uh, like crab meat. Wow, I did not know that. Well, think about it. Right? I mean, when you if you've got leftover crappie, that it's, you know, it's it's that light, flaky meat, sure. just like if you've got lump crab meat. Yeah. It's the same kind of, it's it's just like that body meat you get on a blue crab, and you season it however, Old Bay or whatever it is you all use there, yeah. um, and, it, and it tastes just like crab meat. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm starting to really bail here. <laughs> this is not good. Uh, 
fish recipes. There, we talked about it, and I grew up. I mean, I grew up fishing with my granddaddy in a little farm pond over in Chester, and you know, we did. We, we, he used to clip the fins. Now, my dad never liked us clipping fins, so once I started cleaning the majority of them, fins on, and you fry them up, and you you eat those like potato chips. You're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and you fr- we fried them whole, you know, and you just forked one side and clean what you can off, flip them over, and fork the other side. And if you want to pull the bones out, the bones pull right out. So, yep. Going a little bit beyond that, what would you do with a nice mahi fillet? You know, I've and the mahi is so versatile. You can grill it, broil it, pan sear it. I like I like my mahi, and this won't surprise you a little bit on the undercooked side. <laughs> um, you know, you could do a speaking of macadamia nuts. You know, any kind of nut, whatever's available. Okay, if you take a little bit of egg wash. Um, and I like to put a little Dijon mustard in there, and you take the mahi and you press it into that egg wash. Then you've got a bunch of chopped up macadamia nuts or or, or almonds or whatever it is, whatever's on sale. Okay. And you press that into it. Press it down into that into that uh, into the chopped up nuts. Okay. And you can season it if you want. Put a little jalapeno. Um, that kind of thing in there. Then you just put it into a saute pan with, again, half olive oil, half um, butter, and let that let it get a light, lightly brown first. That's going to get a little bit more flavor. Okay. Put that uh, nut side down first um, into that, and once it's once the nuts are, are lightly browned, take your spatula, flip it over, real, real uh, easy. And once it's done on both sides, take it out. You can make a pan sauce with what's left. You can saute, put a little bit of fresh butter into that same saute pan, maybe some some tomatoes, some basil, a little bit of garlic, big squeeze of lemon, and you drizzle that sauce right on top of that nut-crusted <laughs> mahi, and it's really good. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> oh, wow. And simple. It's yes. simple stuff. Simple I mean, stuff. it's not... We're not, these aren't any obscure ingredients. I'm not trying to outchef anybody. Right. I just want you to know that what they do in restaurants isn't all that different than what you can do at home. Gotcha. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, how simple things are. Is there one thing out there, a seasoning or a spice or, you know, whatever, that's overused cooking wild game? And I know that's a you know, hard one to say. Well, you know, there's a, the one that I get. From Camp Woody, that they've been using there for 25 years for South Carolina waterfowl, is Five Spice. Now, this is a personal least favorite. Okay. But they have a Five Spice duck there that everybody raves about, except for me. Um, but I've found that people overuse heat a lot. They'll okay. use a lot of hot sauce. And we all know people who won't eat anything without hot sauce. Right. Um, and I'm not one of them. I want to taste my food. Um, and you know, there are people are more predisposed than others. They can eat ghost peppers and sure. eat jalapenos like they're pickles. Yeah. I'm not one of them. I like to taste a little heat, but I like my heat balanced with a little sweet. But, um, you know, it's, that's just my least favorite personal one. <laughs> but, you know, you can always add heat. Um, you can always add salt. But if you put too much of either one of them on there, it's kind of hard to go back. I got you. An underused spice, Um, whatever. A little salt. And I'll tell you what I do, whether it's fish or or upland game, 
I like to add a, sque- a squeeze of fresh lemon or fresh lime. Okay. What it does is it it uh, it it's like a natural MSG that it, that um, stimulates the pa- the taste buds and it brings out the other flavors. You'll be surprised at just how different your wild turkey tastes if just before you serve it, you put a big squeeze of lemon juice on there and it adds a high note and it accentuates all the other flavors that you've added to it. Wow. He's good. He's good, people. You need to listen to what he says. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've just done it a whole bunch. There I've you just go. been doing there it forever. Go. He's just the old guy. That's all it is. Uh, one of your other sponsors, High Mountain Seasonings, and they've got yep. a ton of seasonings out there. And a lot of people here, and we're going to go back to venison, because a lot of people here will do venison sausage or pork sausage when they kill a wild pig or something other. Is there one of those high mountain seasonings you would use over the other for that sort of stuff? You know, the venison rub is what I use the most of for okay. any of the antler game. What High Mountain also has is they've got the sausage kits with a million different flavors that you can make snack and sticks, any kind of sausage. You don't need any special equipment. You can use a food processor to make it. If you decide you want to get into making sausage, then I would highly recommend getting a vertical stuffer and a grinder, and you'll be amazed at how much good stuff you can make, let's say, using that ground meat you got instead of... um, Chili. (laughs) Yeah, and something besides chili. Um, My overall favorite that I use the most of the high mountain stuff is their salmon rub. Ah. And again, it's really citrusy and herbal and doesn't have a whole lot of salt, but you're going to taste orange, lemon, lime, herbs, um, and it works on just about anything. But that's I, I, I wear that stuff out. Cool. Oh, wow. All right. Well, if people want to know more about you, Scott, where do they go to find out, I guess, your website, social media, and then what uh, what TV, the Sportsman Channel, where else can they see your programming? Uh, sportingchef.com is where you'll find most of the recipes. If you go to the Ducks Unlimited website, ducks.org, I've been their cooking editor there for the last 12 years. There's videos, there's recipes. I've got a blog on Winchester. Um, if you go to the Sportsman Channel website, it'll tell you where to find the Sporting Chef show. Sporting Chef runs first and second quarter, the okay. dead meat show where we do python, iguana, and stuff <laughs> most people don't eat. That's uh, third and fourth quarter. Okay. Fourth quarter of this year, we've got all new dead meat shows, including that pistachio, um, that pistachio pig from the Big okay. Island of Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'm out there. You'll you'll see. Uh, Sporting Chef is on Sportsman Channel, yeah. and uh, so is Dead Meat. And uh, you know, people can always find me. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel. Ah. People are sending me messages all the time. If you go to Sporting Chef YouTube, if you don't get TV, there's my Outdoor TV is the uh, is the streaming app that Sportsman Channel Outdoor Channel has. Okay, where you can watch a whole bunch of shows from Sportsman Outdoor and the World Fishing Network. Very nice. Well, Scott, as always, I enjoy talking to you. My taste buds are on fire right now. Um, thank you as always. And yeah, let's uh, do it again, man. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you soon, Scott. You bet, thank sir.
Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. I hope you enjoyed that. It's uh, Scott's always a good one to have on the show. Makes your mouth water a lot, and and to make your mouth water a little bit more. I know he harps on everybody grinding up too much venison in the hamburger and all, but he's got a recipe on the Sporting Chef website called Savory Venison Sliders. <laughs> Miniature ground venison burgers loaded with fresh herbs, tomato, and cheese are a great starter to keep hunger at bay while the main course is on the way. In you know, in a pinch, you can substitute two tablespoons of dried herbs or an herb blend like Italian seasoning in place of the fresh herbs. Load up a tray and bring them to your next wild game potluck or football game, or whatever. So here you go: ingredients: a pound and a half of ground venison, which is about four and a half cups, three tablespoons of flour, half teaspoon of salt, a quarter teaspoon of pepper, one tablespoon of garlic powder, one cup caramel diced tomatoes. Two tablespoons balsamic vinegar, a half, a third cup fresh herbs, you know, sage, rosemary, basil, parsley, whatever else. Uh, Twelve small slices of Swiss cheese, small slider buns, which is the King's Hawaiian rolls, if you're not familiar with those. Uh, You know, the flour, the salt, pepper, garlic powder, everything goes on the meat. Work it in evenly. Uh, That'll help it bind together on the grill. Put it on a large bowl and add remaining ingredients except the cheese. And uh, medium hot grill. Brown on one side. Flip over. Cook for a couple of minutes more. You don't have to do too much for venison. Top of the trees and cook until melted. Place it in buns and serve however you like it. Good stuff. One thing I missed in the calendar, uh, the uh, DNR co-sponsored youth deer hunts uh, in the upstate private areas, which is Region 1, Unit C, those applications are out there. They're due back September the 9th. And, um, yeah, I think this is it. You can, you can go to the DNR website. There's another. Yeah, these are the ones. The DNR website, Youth and Their Hunting. Look for Youth Hunting, and the applications are there. Uh, they have a Youth Upstate Hunt and then another one at DNR. And the deadline for the upstate hunt, Region 1, is September 9th. The Fance Grove deer hunts deadline September 13th. So if you're a kid and you want to go deer hunting, here's a couple for you. One note, it's uh, hunting season here. It's also hunting season around the country and out west. And a lot of hunters travel to, uh, to hunt in other states. Be aware if you're traveling to another state that has CWD, you are not permitted to bring the whole animal back to South Carolina. Real quick, I'll go through and tell you what you can bring back. And be aware that if, you, if you're if you bringing it back, you not only break South Carolina law, but every law in the state. Okay, so quarters or other portions of meat with no part of the spinal column or head attached, meat that has been boned out, hides with no head attached, clean skulls, or clean skull plates with antlers. Of course, antlers, clean upper canine teak of elk. You know, if you go out there, you get the ivories and finished taxidermy heads. You may not import whole carcasses or parts of deer or elk that contain nervous system tissue, such as the brain or spinal column, back in South Carolina. So just be aware of that. Don't let that ruin your hunt. But just be aware. And that's it for another week of Woods and Water South Carolina. Thanks for being here. we uh be back live next Saturday. And I hope you tune in then. Until then, make time to get out there. Take the back roads when you can. And don't forget the camera. Back next week. Hit me from behind Cause I'm gone to Carolina In my mind Three-star 
General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.